what if the things that we've been told for decades now, like you can't have economic prosperity powered by renewable energy, what if that simply wasn't true? What about a desire that the same kind of accountability that you and I operate under in our community, there was a want that that should extend to Parliament. What if that desire wasn't an abnormal thing to want? And what if the wish for basic respect and baseline recognition of the humanity and agency that you give to others and you expect others to give to you, what if that is something that you'd like to see extend to our nation's leaders? Look, these things don't make you weird. They just make you human. My guest this week is hoping to carry those and similar values with her as she runs for Parliament in the upcoming Australian election. This week, my guest is the independent candidate for Wentworth, Allegra Spender. Now, it's a live show. It's the first live one we've done in a long, long, long time. And as a result, there was a couple of glitches in the matrix. And I'm real sorry. Unfortunately, even with two redundancies, my, my microphone, my actual microphone I was holding in my hand, didn't record properly for the first part of the chat. So I really, I really apologize for the audio quality. However, don't worry, it does come good. So before we get into the live show, and just thank you so much, everybody, for being a part of it. It was really great to do it on a Sunday. Other, it was rad. There was about 60, maybe, no, it was probably it was about 80 people there, maybe 100 people there. It was awesome. It was really fun. Uh, before we get to that, we have to play some ads, mainly to afford a new microphone cable. <laughs> so if you hear some ads, thank you. You're helping us buy a new cable. And uh, if not, we'll get right to the live gig with Allegra Spender. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome, here we are, 
it's uh, Sunday afternoon in Bondo Beach. How are you? Good? Yeah. Excellent. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for being here. This is a live podcast. And what that means is that you get to sit around and listen to all the boring housekeeping stuff that happens at the start of a podcast live. Yeah. How exciting. So, firstly, well, welcome to the show. This is a show called Better Than Yesterday. Uh, it is a, a tri-weekly podcast that comes out three times a week. Each episode does what it says on the box. Uh, you'll hear something that will make your day today better than yesterday. And, and we do this by having conversations with thought leaders and experts from all around the world, from all walks of life, some of them experts in their field, some of them experts in their field. And each one of these conversations will leave you with something uh, to make your day better than yesterday. We started this in 2013 when some of you weren't born. If you don't know who I am, that's fine. Um, my, my name is Osher Ginsberg. I'm a, what am I? I'm a TV host. I'm a podcaster. I'm an, uh, I'm an author, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a stepdad. What else am I? I'm a hearing aid wearer, I'm an SSRI ingester. That's a drugs, medication. <laughs> I'm an electric mobility evangelist. If any men with a certain age would like to join me outside to talk about my electric Harley Davidson afterwards, you're more welcome. Um, I'm the son of two people who were both refugees at one point in their lives. Yeah, that's also true. And um, I'm also an immigrant, but I'm white, so no one cares. So if you ever want to reach out, it's really easy to email me. Send us your email at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, also on Facebook. And if you can support the show, it's really easy. There's ad-free and full video episodes on Patreon, but there's not a video episode of this one unless there's a person back here who's filming it on a Samsung S20, and you can watch an hour and a half of shaky phone footage if you like, <laughs> which will be awesome. So... That's the housekeeping. Thank you. We got that done. It's a live podcast. What an invitation. Come down to the hardware store in Bondi to hear Andrew G talk to the independent candidate of Wentworth on a Sunday, except it's still Bondi hardware, but it is now a restaurant, and he's still the same person, but he's now got a different name. <laughs> Brilliant. What a great way to spend your weekend. Um, so when I first moved to Sydney, I first moved to Sydney in 2000, I came from this other part of the world called Brisbane. I would come to this hardware store when it was a hardware shop, and I would speak to the guys that worked here. I think they were a pair of brothers and another dude, and, you know, buy screws and glues and other sort of things so I wouldn't lose my bonds on the apartment that I rented above the Pizza Hut, about 100 metres from here. How different this world is uh, wife, from 20... My wife used to teach Allegra at Askham. Your wife used to teach Allegra at Askham. Right. Allegra, you are not getting out of here before we get. I need. Is you? Can, can you text her? Your wife. Right. Ex ex-wife. Ex-wife. <laughs> Mate, you're not the only person to ruin one of them. So I guess you can't text her. Can I text her? Um, so we're less than three weeks away from Sausage Day here in Australia where we eat sausages and kind of uh, perhaps vote on which people might make sure there are still going to be sausages to eat or, you know, money to buy the sausages with in another three years. And we are sitting in the federal seat of Wentworth. It's the second smallest electorate in the country, but it is the electorate that encompasses the most valuable real estate in the entire country. Uh, there's ocean beaches, there's harbour beaches, there's Bondi, Bronte, Tamarama. If you're lucky, I'll do the Bondi Rescue Voice at some point. And for 118 years, this seat was a super safe um, Liberal Party seat until uh, Dr. Carroll, for people listening in America, Liberal is not Liberal. Liberal is very conservative. I know it's weird. Um, <laughs> And for nine months, this seat was held by an independent, Dr. Karen Phelps. 
Our, yes, at the next federal election, uh, this electorate voted for Dave Sharma, who brings enormous skills in foreign policy and diplomacy from his former roles in government. He's been on this show before. I call him a lot. I called him and spoke to him heaps. I invited him on the show in one of our conversations. Um, I encourage all of you to in, you know, engage with your MP because that is you know, government, that's what democracy is. And I encourage him to do things that I hope he would do because he represents me, um, whether I voted for him or not. In fact, our last email exchange, I, I reached out to him to say, look, mate, it must have been a lot to cross the floor and you know, vote to protect trans kids. That's a big deal for you. It would have been hard. Unfortunately, it didn't really matter to some of the families of the most vulnerable people in our community, uh, given the last three weeks uh, of our public discourse, which is um, an extraordinary uh, tragedy in our community that we think that's okay, but that's another story. In this seat of Wentworth, in a recent poll, uh, the electorate's top three issues were climate change, jobs and economic management, and integrity in politics. Now, according to theyvoteforyou.org.au, Dave Sharma, our sitting member here, has consistently voted against uh, a fast transition from fossil fuels and to renewable energy, including voting against investment in renewable energy. He's voted against Australian jobs and industries um, in foreign trade agreements. And he's almost always voted against considering legislation to create a federal anti-corruption commission. And it's almost always because he was absent on two of the four votes that took place around that. Now, as I said, I've spoken with Dave. I know you've spoken with Dave. I've met him a bunch of times. Top bloke, lovely guy, really lovely human being. And it's hard to reconcile that because what he says publicly and when we speak, it's very different, you know, to what he actually votes for when he's in Canberra. And they're two quite vastly different things. And I can't imagine the burden that carries on, on him. I can only, he's a man with a lot of empathy. That must be a difficult weight to carry for him. However, if you or I promised the people who got us a job that we do certain things once we got there, and then we didn't do those things in that job, would you or I keep that job? Probably not which is why we have elections. We stand at an extraordinary time in history when the greatest and most predictable economic externality of all time is upon us. The changing climate will make a lot of choices for us, whether we like it or not. As I said the other night on the telly, I don't care what side of politics you're on. Physics doesn't care. Physics doesn't give a shit. So economic policy, defence policy, social policy, these are all already trying to keep up with the impacts of the changing weather. We've all seen it. Yet we can wait and be reactionary, which might leave us with very few choices, uh, and may leave us with an economy and a community and a sense of security that we really, don't really recognise. My motorcycle is faster and brighter. Is it electric? It's very electric. That's the thing. I'm an, I'm, I'm an electric mobility advocate and enthusiast. I've been driving electric cars since 2011, man. I'm old school, right? And um, yeah, carbon. You know, I'm telling you, zero emissions is fast. I took that Harley down Eastern Creek for a track day the other day. Fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so these things are upon us, and they, they may leave us with an economy and a sense of security that we don't really recognise. All right, whether we like it or not, these things are going to happen. Or we could seize the opportunity we have in front of us. We could easily protect our way of life. We could lead the world in the abundant opportunity that comes with access and export of free or near-free energy. And we can choose the future that we want for ourselves and our children on the 21st of May. And there's a number of incredibly capable people who are running for office in Australia who see that chance and see the economic abundance. Like, we possibly won't even recognise how enormous this stuff is. 
national security that could see us wield soft power in our region more than we've ever done in, in our history. And social cohesion in our communities, all those things are ours for the taking if we choose strong climate action. It all comes down to this. This is for me, as far as I'm concerned. Now, already on the show, I've got episodes. I've spoken with uh, Kylie Tink. I've also spoken with Dr. Monique Bryan. Two powerful women that are, are just ready to get it done, all right? And they're not alone. My guest today is yet another incredibly experienced woman with um, some serious big deal energy. Yes. Um, a legacy of top-level international government and private sector experience on her resume. Allegra Spender is the independent candidate for this federal seat of Wentworth. She comes armed to the teeth with knowledge and experience, a degree in economics from Cambridge, a master's from the University of London, further education at Harvard, Dartmouth. I've heard of those places. <laughs> Through her work as an analyst at McKinsey in London, she works in uh, retail, consumer goods, also non-profit sectors. Before joining Her Majesty's Treasury as a policy analyst, there was further work in healthcare, uh, which is a tricky place to be, uh, both in uh, the UK and in Australia. There was volunteer work uh, centred around horticulture in Kenya. And for eight years, she was the managing director of Colours and Paddy Proprietary Limited, um, a company that brings in over 30 mil a year, over 30 stores around the country, so not a small gig. She was chair of the Sydney Renewable uh, Power Company, uh, which is an impact investment operation that oversaw the deployment of a 520 kilowatt uh, solar array on the roof of the uh, ICC in the Sydney CBD. And until January, Allegra was the CEO of the Australian Business and Community Network, which works to in, in improve the educational and career outcomes of Australia's youth through basically pairing um, corporate volunteers with uh, students in the workplace. All this happened until she decided to pull the pin and, and run for office. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so extraordinarily happy you're here on a Sunday afternoon. Would you please give an enormous round of applause, make a lot of noise for Allegra Spender. Keep going, keep going, come on, come on. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Is it, is it weird hearing me, you know, recite your resume to you? Yes, it's embarrassing. I often, <laughs> I often narrated LinkedIn profiles as a service. I don't yet, but I should. <laughs> I can do it in the whispering rose voice or the one that rescue voice. Just for the name of um, how are you? You good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm glad you have. I'm glad you're seeing it as fun because it could be horrible. No, I'm, I okay, say. I've met incredible people in the last few months, and that has really carried me through. You grew up in this area, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. You lived here your whole life, except for when you were in the UK. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel a little bit parochial saying that I have lived in Wentworth my entire life that I've lived in Australia. I've lived in you know, UK, France, and in Kenya, and otherwise basically Wentworth. Wow. <laughs> You're amazing. But... Patricia's taught your dad French before he got, um, went to France as the oh, ambassador. Thank you. <laughs> His ex-wife taught you French. And climate change is real. As a winemaker, when, you, when, when the harvest comes 30 days quicker than it was 10 years ago, you know something's going on. And that's around the world, not just in Australia. Well, guys, there you, you go. Have a good luck. See you later. Thank you. <laughs> Someone I don't know said something to me in a bar, and now I believe it's true. But he's right, it's terrifying. So you, you grew up in this area. Um, we are, I'm a, I'm a little bit older than you, but we, we grew up in a, in a similar time in Australia. When was the first time you realised that your parents had different jobs? 
you, I think when, when you grow up, you always think that your family is like every other family. And so I always thought that, you know, everyone's mum worked the entire time and everyone's dad, you know, worked in Canberra half the time too. So that was just how I grew up. And I think it was, you know, it probably went eight or nine or ten or something. It was like, oh, this is a bit unusual. I remember it was about that time when I'd go around other people's houses, mm. you know, I started visiting and go, oh. I actually when, um, when G, our eldest, she's now 18, um, she changed schools and she went to St Catharines up the road. And it was hilarious. She came home. How come we don't have a lift in our house? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let me let me talk to you about let me talk to you about that. Too. So you kind of you kind of got this idea that oh, mum and mum and dad, the conversations that we have about the world mm. and the conversation that grandpa has with me mm. are not the same. As everyone else. Yeah, I think I think that's right. But I think probably the most defining memory of my childhood was actually working in Mum's office, which was very me, my sis, my sister, and my brother. We all worked there since the age of ten, and I think that was probably the most defining factor because no one else I knew worked every single school and university holiday in in with their mum. But that's what we did, and it was it changed my life actually. It changed completely changed my perspective on things. Now, was this when the the rag game was still in Surrey Hills? When- yeah, no, this was in in the the city but we used to you know I, I I've swept the cutting room floor in those days you used to um we used to have a tea lady who came Monday to Thursday so on Fridays I was the tea lady other days I went out and got people lunches and I used to go to the bank because people used to do that in those days post office and basically take lots of clothes around the city and put lots of swing tags on things swing tags (laughs) that's kind of interesting like you said how did it change your life because I'm sure other kids your age were like see I'm off to Austria look mum was an immigrant and she you know she was really successful in her time but I think she wanted to make sure that we understood how hard it was to do what she did and so and she wanted us to just learn that through you know brutal hard work and I think the other side of it was that her office was actually an office of immigrants and that really I think that also brought home you know the you know the community that she came from, um, which in some ways is reflected in eastern suburbs and some parts isn't. And so it was very, very powerful. And she also learned, like one of her stories she always told is as, as a you know, seven-year-old um, going up into the Italian Alps and being left there overnight by herself um, while her brother went down because they had a little um, hut in the mountains where they went up there because they were farmers and they took um, cattle and stuff like that up into the, in the spring. And she was left there overnight as a seven-year-old just by herself. And she always said that night she felt she learned independence and she learned she could rely on herself. And that's what she wanted us to learn yeah. is that we can always rely on ourselves. And I think that was, you know, that's exactly why she took us into to work as well. It's not uncommon for kids of, of immigrants to, to have that work ethic. You know, I, I look at uh, Audrey, my wife, she came, uh, she was born in Fiji and her parents came over in 87, 80, they came over in 87 and her dad Came here with dot, came here with zip, no money. And like th- three years ago, four years ago, retired, not even 60, two houses and a boat paid for with cash. In yeah. whatever, 26 years, I think, he yeah. did that. And it, it's not uncommon for people, oh, we're here, let's go. Yeah. And and my brothers and I, you know, we're both, there's four of us and we all work like bananas. I'm not saying that other people don't, but I, I just find yeah. it, you know, anecdotally common. I'm fascinated in your, your granddad. Mm. Did he... Like, did you ever sit around and say, Allegra, come and let me talk to you about the legacy of <laughs> colonialism and us realigning ourselves militarily with the US? 
<laughs> so I wish he had. Um, unfortunately, he had Alzheimer's for most of the oh, time sorry. that I knew him. No, it was, but he was, thankfully, because he was um, uh, someone of, you know, who made a big contribution and pretty much did the ANZUS Treaty, um, he wrote an autobiography. So it's a strange situation where I've actually learned most about my grandfather through reading a book that he wrote about himself, which is a bit strange, but still gives you a sense of, of who he is and, and people who come and tell you about their experience of him. That is really, really amazing. But he's still, he's the man that your father grew up with. Yeah, exactly. And they used to, my, they used to tell me that they'd come, you know, the Sunday afternoon was basically a massive political debate. They would just sit there and argue with each other. And my mum originally was like, oh my gosh, what on earth is going on? Are they fighting? And it's like, no, they are debating some of the most important issues that they saw of the day. I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's extraordinary to know that your your dad and your granddad that might have been, you know, ideologically having conversations yeah. with them that ended up in, in black and white that got yeah. signed on, yeah, on yeah. the Andrews Treaty, which we're still, you know, we live it every day. Yeah. Here we are. Exactly right you mentioned right. that, your, that your mum taught you that in a Independence mm-hmm. and the self-reliance. What was the sort of things your father taught you? Uh, look, I think Dad has a very curious mind, and I think for it's that actually it's a sort of independence of thought. I think it's a similar thing, which is about how do you make up your own mind? And then, you know, I've got kids and that's one of the things I want them to learn the most is, you know, to rely on your own judgment, not to not just to accept everything that people say, um, to, to investigate it, to interrogate it, and also be always open to different ideas. Because I think, you know, if you have only, if you have a very fixed view on the world, you know, you are missing out. If you really open yourself to other people and, you know, a, prepared to see things differently, then you will learn. It's a wonderful mindset to have, but it's a very hard thing to follow when you're a politician Mm. because you can go into an election um, going, and I promise you this, evidence may show up later Mm. that goes, "Mm, maybe that wasn't the best idea, Mm. and then you can get punished for changing your mind. Yeah, you can. You absolutely can, but I think at the same time, you know, I've spent, you know, last, you know, four years um, running the Australian Business Community Network and, you know, there are times there you do this, it's exactly the same when you're leading an organisation. You say, we should do this and then you work out like you do it and then six, you know, nine months later you go, actually, that wasn't such a good idea. You can either go, you know, just because I said it, we need to continue on for the rest of my life or, you know, we need to accept that this wasn't a very good idea, understand why and then move on and that's, that's what you have to do. What was teenager Allegra like around the uh, around the dinner table when when politics shut up? Did you just were you contrary just for the sake of being con- not that all yeah. teenagers do that? Uh, look, um, my mum used to say, "Oh, Allegra, you want to save the world." I'm probably really idealistic, and I and I have been idealistic. I think I'm much less idealistic um, now, but still, you know, even doing what I'm doing has a degree of um, idealism there. I loved politics. I was more anti-fashion. So I was very sort of, you know, I wore hoodies, I wore caps. Mum would occasionally just throw out some of my clothes without telling me. And I was going, where's that cap? And I literally found it in in the garbage bins just about to be taken out. Oh, can you imagine? Your mum's colours and party and you go, I'm leaving the house in a hoodie. Bye, mum. Oh, it's like dating a bloke called Jaden with a neck tattoo. You know, it's like... Uh, it's rebellion. Not that all blokes with Jaden called neck tattoos are bad. Yeah. Just the one with jet skis. No, um, that's not true. There's a Ford Raptor as well. Uh, that's amazing. That's that's really that's really something. So politically, you you know, did your dad ever go? Oh, it's great to have these high aspirations, but come on, kid, here's some reality. 
Look, it's interesting. Um, I think Dad, you know, in, in his own experience in, in politics, he was actually someone who did speak his mind in contrary to the party in, in a number of cases. And when I talk to him now, I think those are some of his proudest moments. I think they're actually some of his defining moments. Um, and I really admire that. And interestingly, my grandfather as well was also a man who, you know, stood for his mind. Interestingly, he didn't he? St- he ended up with the Liberal Party, but he actually st- stood as an unaligned uh, member of the party, and he stood against the Defence Minister because he disagreed with the Defence Policy in 1937, and he was successful. And because he he just felt that it was a critical time, and he didn't like where we were going, and so he stood up. And I and and then later, so he stood as a semi-independent. Later, he joined the Liberal Party. It's extraordinary. Like you couldn't ask for a more you know blue house, like a more Liberal Party house to to grow up in. But I was just saying to someone before the show, I did an event about a year ago, I think, with Dr. John Houston, whom I believe your father uh, he was Dr. John Houston was a leader at the time. And I was sitting on stage, we're doing a gig much like this, having a chat, and. The leader of the Liberal Party through the 80s was talking to me like about, you know, climate adaptation and renewable energy and stuff. And I'm like, you, you can't have changed who you, what you think is right that much in 30 years. You can't, what's in your heart cannot have swerved that hard. Mm. Do you feel that the party that your dad was a part of is no longer the party that exists? Mm, absolutely. I mean, that's what he feels as well as I mean, And we were talking just earlier about, you know, the difference of, you know, not only the you know, most recent Liberal Party, but even the Liberal Party of Menzies. Um, you know, the difference that, the, that those parties have compared to the party that we have right now. You sort of go, well, protecting the environment, isn't that an inherently conservative thing to do? And you look it's at... It's in the title. Conservation <laughs> is in... Yeah, it's, in no, it's in. You can't the say... Clue. You can't say conservation without saying the word conserve. I know, and you also look at, um, you even look at the UK, uh, yeah. which, you know, you've got the Boris Johnson, you know, the Conservative Party are well in there, and but climate is not this political football that it is here in this country. And that's what I'm seeking is that, so as you, exactly what you said, physics is not left or right. This is just about what's happening. And we're, you know, we're lucky in this country, frankly, we can turn this into an economic opportunity. But regardless, we need to do something about it. When you got to uni, I mean, you got a long way away to wear all the hoodies you wanted and in, Cam- <laughs> in Cambridge. You went and went to the UK. You did an economics to go over there. Did you dabble in student politics at all? Were you like, no, I'm done? Mm, it, uh, a little bit, but generally it's, I was, I mean, I studied economics because I care about how the world works, um, but I'm not sure necessarily student politics and particularly at, you know, where I was, was about, you know, that it's, I think I had more to learn probably from the lecturers than necessarily from student politics. <laughs> well, you, you went from there, you, you, you moved around, but while, while you're in the UK, fascinatingly, you worked at the at the treasury in the UK what would what would be the australian equivalent of, of the treasury this is as you know in policy right exactly right well it's you know the australian you know the australian treasury exactly the same quite funnily um my there was a, a woman who's um literally whose desk i took and her name was sarah thrift and then allegra spender came in so it was very um and we had quite some entertainment <laughs> true story that's amazing that- but it's a non-partisan level of the yeah. situation yeah. at that point. And it's, and it's very, I mean, they're incredibly smart, dedicated people and, and, the, and the people who hold the purse strings but also, you know, are very involved, I think, in the other departments because they hold the purse strings, they have a very significant influence policy across, across the country. And, and so I guess day-to-day you're just dealing with, like, 
putting together all the extraordinary Tetris pieces of the macroeconomic situation. Yeah, we were particularly looking at productivity, um, which was in the unit I was part of. And I, it's interesting, that was a problem with the UK then. It's a, actually a problem with Australia now, which and because productivity is key to growth. And if you're not growing, then, you know, then there's a real danger, particularly, you know, in wages growth that we're not going to see that. And that's what we have literally seen also for the last 10 years. You're managing, you know, pressure from whoever was in power yeah. versus, you know, the pressure from the people who you're working with going, yes, and the right mm. thing to do is that. Yeah, exactly. It's always that balance. That's what their balance was of, you know, how do you turn this into announceable? And that is part of politics is, you know, is turning things into announceable, but also doing good policy. When you watch the thick of it, do you go, oh, yeah, I've been there? <laughs> Yeah, the thick of it's hilarious. No, it's, that was really interesting. I, I then went on to the NHS and that was super interesting too because it's saying, well, what's politics in action? Because, you know, the Treasury is very high level. Um, you know, if you want to see what's actually policy in action, you go to somewhere like a hospital, which is, you know, being told by the Treasury and others, well, you need to do this. And it's like, well, how does that translate to doctors, nurses, patients, allied health on the ground? What does that actually mean when you're running a really big teaching hospital? And that was you know, probably my favourite job in the UK. Well, basically what, what you're saying, I'm, allow me to kind of extrapolate from what you're saying, is like, yes, we're going to dedicate this to this and that and that. But that only means eight treatments of this particular therapy. And most people need 10 to feel better. And that's where the rubber meets the road, really, it, isn't it? It absolutely does. And I, I mean, I think one of the, my big learning actually from, from that in the NHS, I think, were, were two things. One was that politicians should be careful about trying to spend their whole lives changing structures when that influences how people are running businesses, like uh, running organisations, because, you know, you can spend so much time just trying to keep up with the last political fad, you're being distracted from the key job, which is actually delivering care. But the other thing I think is really important is also that the money isn't the solution to every problem. And, you know, looking at, we were in a hospital where we found that, you know, a lot of the patients that were in there shouldn't have been in hospital as long clinically but were there for all these other reasons, which meant they had a worse experience because no one wants to be in hospital. The food's not very good. You know, more likely to get an infection, which is a real and a very real risk, particularly at that time. And then it's a cost to the taxpayer of people keeping in acute beds for a long period of time. So I think we also need to think about how you look at services and say you can sometimes make things better and it not to cost more to actually cost less. I think we do need to think about that as well as going, where do we need to invest to make things better? So that's, that's an extraordinary thing to carry with you for life. And like a, that's a cracking amount of experience to go, well, if I've done that, there's, you know, I understand how the systems work and I understand the, you know, not only, not only economic, but certainly when it comes to healthcare, the moral pressure of like, yeah, we can keep granny alive, but... Uh, you know, it's, well, I mean, to be honest, you know, it's, it's, it's wild. I lived in America for about 10 years and in, in the States, the figure was something like 98% of all healthcare costs occur in the last two years of someone's life. And the question I got asked once, I was at a thing and someone asked the question, what could we do with that money instead if we, this is very, this is nothing to do with you. This is not uh, my political platform, I should. Well, no. <laughs> well, what, this is nothing to do with Allegra Spender. I'm just going to say this. There, there, I was at a conference about death. And so what, was the, what, what could we do if we reframe death? What could that 98% of money do? Anyway, another conversation for another time. Um, your mum, well and truly, by the time you were kind of off age, your mum's firing on all cylinders, all right? The, the company's going crazy. Like she's doing really great. She's a pillar of the community. She's involved in boards. She's working, um, you know, she's with Westfield, which makes sense, retail, but she's also on the board of SBS. She's on the board at Sydney Dance Company. She's on the board of the Museum of Contemporary Art. 
She's on the board of Museum of Contemporary Art. She will edit that later and no one will know a motorbike went by, right? I'll leave it in, Daryl. It's fun. Um, so I'm sure as a kid you're exposed to storytelling, you're exposed to performance, you're exposed to visual art, though through the more kind of overseeing macro work that your mum did, did you see the arts in relation to economic productivity, for example, because, or, you know, community health? Uh, because for some people might argue that the arts are not connected, therefore why should we fund mm. or support them? It's interesting. I, you know, grew up in the fashion industry, which in itself is an applied art. And, you know, I think what I learned from mum and also my sister is that I love fashion because it is the balance between creativity and business. You know, mum was always um, trying to introduce people from business to artists and she was trying to introduce artists to people from business and she always described business as being as creative for her as the arts and so I think that it's such a false dichotomy and people think oh to harness creativity you know I have to be a painter it's actually we all have creativity within us it's actually just bringing that out. I, I have seen Audrey try to navigate the, the sleeping habits of a toddler who's dropping his day nap with the car requirements of an 18-year-old and, and a husband who can't remember to take, you know, will go out for a litre of milk and come back with a loaf of bread and incredibly creatively has managed to maintain her desire to sleep in the same bed as me. So I understand what she's saying. It does create, take a lot of creativity. Uh, uh, yeah, and I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more in that. Um, you know, you, you don't you just don't realize. But you start kind of thinking about how brains work, mm. right? If you see an incredible piece of art and go, Whoa, your brain puts that away, mm. and then sees the shape, sees the patterns, and whatever, and then something else comes up two three weeks later, and your brain puts the two together, and you go, ha ha, you don't even realize it. But that's why it's so important to expose yourself to these things. But, but oh, why would I want to fund a you know dance troupe? It's like, ah. anyway. Exactly. No, it, and it, and bring, I mean, I think we also can't think of creativity only economic. It also brings us joy. And I think you know, joy and community are not to be underestimated. This is you know why are we alive after all? <laughs> exactly. Uh, you spoke about the working in your mum's office, working at the Carla Zampati Proprietary Limited with Carla Zampati, mum, and what that taught you when did she start to impart business lessons upon you i mean i only know three i know the six p's the five d's anybody know the six p's and the five d's it's pretty easy prior preparation prevents piss poor performance it's one five d's is don't dither or delay to sell to delegate that's it apparently that's the first year of business school a bloke called saul told me that so i'm like all right i believe you um what kind of lessons did your mum impart upon you around business or starting business Know your customer. I ran mum's business during the GFC when when it was a very difficult time financially, and that was the piece of just if you if you start with your customer, and I think that that applies to healthcare, applies to education, applies anywhere. Start with your customer. Understand what's important to them, where they're at, and if you can really do that well and meet their needs, then you'll be successful in all sorts of environments. And also don't be sentimental about decisions you've made. I think, you know, interestingly, mum went overseas and, you know, tried to expand into the US in the late 80s. And she did it for about a year and came back and said, you know, and cut her losses. And she said, look, it was a bit of an ego trip. I kind of wanted to be this international designer. And she just said, I just saw the money I was losing. And she said, I just decided not to do that. And I think being ready to say, you know what, this isn't working. I actually have to do something else is important. Not, not having too much pride to say you were wrong. 
That's a that's a huge lesson to to take with you, um, and in in many ways, it's so not because I lived in America and I compare the two societies so often. It's like that's so like no one in America would dare do that, you know. It's like quitting's for quitters and stuff like that. Uh, not like you know what? It's probably not a great idea. It's probably going to have more joy in my day if if I do this. It must have been so extraordinarily painful to lose your mum. So it's less than a year ago. So suddenly, but the best dressed funeral that Australia's ever seen. It's true. It was. She would have loved it. <laughs> to be honest, she would have absolutely loved it. <laughs> uh, it. It must have meant a lot to you to see the people that, that came. Look, I think it was. You know, I'm grateful for many things. One of the things I'm grateful for are the people, the stories that I've heard. And I still hear these all the time. Interestingly, during this campaign, a lot of people have come up to me and said, look, I knew your mum, you know, and tells, told me a story. Probably the one that I think <laughs> I'm going to be slightly emotional about this. One that really affected me was actually on LinkedIn, weirdly enough, where a woman reached out to me and said, you know, because I had written something saying, you know, she was a woman, mum was a woman who loved to see women succeed. And she, this woman wrote to me and said, look, you're absolutely right. You know, I, you know, five years ago, someone introduced me to your mum and mum sat down and said, look, how can I help? And she took her out. Yeah, she took her out for coffee. She introduced her to the chief executive women group. She got her a mentor. She took her to all these different places. And this isn't a very successful woman herself. But mum really acted as someone who was like, "You can be. You know, you're successful. You can be even more so. How can I help?" And I am so proud of her for that. And that's the one thing I probably wish I could say to her now. That's wow, that's so beautiful. Such a, a glorious story. And you know what? That uh, that happened at my mum's funeral too. Yeah, mum was a doctor and people that were never I'd never met in my entire life didn't they just saw her name and they came yeah. they came and this was you know she stopped me and she told me about this thing that mum did and my brothers and I were just like she never told us that and it happened so much that day and it's an extraordinary I mean you know I'm sure like I still miss her every day I'm yeah, sure you do too I'm sure you do but you have you know you, as you go oh, grief's weird isn't it it is weird grief sorry cool. <laughs> this is a bit serious but it's true it's serious it's true <laughs> Wayne Coyne from the Flaming Lips, he wrote a song now. Uh, he wrote a song once called Do You Realise? And in the song it says, do you realise that everyone you know someday will die? And it's really important to remember, all of us, everyone you love, we all will. And so the joy that Allegra was talking about earlier, it's a really important thing to, to try and find in your day. You have a family, you have a, a successful career, to willingly decide to run for office in Australia... <laughs> It's not that like tapped on the shoulder and said, mate, you're going to Dubbo, you're pre-selected, off you pop. To run for politics in Australia, politics is a dirty, dirty sport. It's a dirty game. It's like, I was trying to think about it. It's like, it's like jumping into an open sewer that is neck deep, trying to get a glass of water to the thirsty person on the other side without realising, oh, my God, my whole family and friends and everyone who loves has been dragged in here with me. Please, I really hope you, I know you're thirsty. I'm trying to give you something you want. Yes. Was there a moment you can pinpoint that we went, I'm just going to have to do this like your grandfather did? Uh, it was really around COP26. I'd been approached earlier in the year and, and I was, you know, thinking really hard about it, but I've got young kids, used to have an Italian passport, no longer, and I loved my job. But when I saw what they were not going to do at COP26, when I saw that we were going to do really absolutely nothing um, in terms of making contribution to climate and we were going to continue to be climate wreckers, I just felt... It just has to be done. Hang on. It's not like we didn't do anything at COP26. We built an Easter show pavilion-sized <laughs> temple to a gas company at a climate, right. confer at a climate conference. 
You're right. And we That's also, not waiting. We also made sure that coal was not phase out but phase, phase down. That was our other big contribution is making sure we're not phasing out coal, we're just phasing it down. Thanks, Australia. As you're looking forward, you, you mentioned your kids. It's, you know, you're looking at them. Did you see anxiety in them? Look, I think, um, you know, they, like absolutely like so many other kids, they really care and they do learn about this at school and they do wonder what everyone is doing. Um, and I, like I, I met two more kids today actually who were like, if year two and year four were, were voting, I think I might actually, I'd, I'd be in a shoe, a shoe in because I have a lot of kids who come up to me and said, you know, I really love what you're doing. I think they also love my posters everywhere. I think they think I'm a bit of a celebrity. <laughs> But, and, you know, I can, I can really relate to that because there was, you know, at some point, I was like, I'm just going to have to start. There's not enough people talking about this. It's not, it's not in the national conversation. It's just not, and we have to make it a part of the national conversation. It's being deliberately obfuscated and kept off the, the front pages. And when these extraordinary things happen, like the Black Summer bushfires or the one in 100 year floods, of which we had three in four weeks two months ago, are like, oh, no, 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 it's not that. Like, I can't, I feel insane. And I've been insane. I have. I've actually been nuts. I was on antipsychotics and everything. It feels bonkers. And, and, but you went, that's it. I'm just going to have to do this. Yeah, I think absolutely. And, I mean, the other piece, it's it's not, you know, for me it's not only climate. No, I want course. I want good government. I, you know, I'm a bit of a policy wonk. I really like good policy. And when I see that we don't, uh, we're not looking at some of our really long-term issues and climate is fundamentally front and centre, but it's not the only issue that we're facing. And those we're not having the hard conversations and the big conversations in this country, then it drives me crazy. And, you know, when I was considering to do this or not, I thought, look, I'll speak to someone who I really trust, who really understands public policy in this country, to say, you know, what is this something that independence, can we really have an influence here? And this was John Daly, who used to run the Grand Institute, which is a really great um, think tank. And I said, John, you know, I've been approached about this. Uh, what do you think? And he said, Allegra, let me send you a report that I'm putting out in about three weeks and go to page 61 or whatever it was. And it was basically saying, you know, we've been gridlocked from policy for the last 10 years and one of the key solutions is probably independence. I was like, ah, John, you're not going to let me off the hood on this one. He's like, no, I'm not Allegra. (laughs) So so for, for people who don't quite understand why independence is so powerful in our country, can you kind of take us through that, please? Look, I think because they can and fundamentally speak for the community and I think that's a difference. Um, you know, the, it's community first, not party. And, and you know, you, you spoke about Dave Sharma and you said, you know, it seems like a nice guy. Loveliest um, guy. Yeah. Lovely human being. Yeah, but the problem when it honestly comes down to it, you know, one of the first things that Dave Sharma did when he was elected in Parliament was he rescinded the law that Karen Phelps had passed to get critically ill asylum seekers and refugees off Nauru. And you go, wow, so no, nice guy, compassionate guy, comes from Wentworth. And I can tell you how Wentworth feels about refugees because I'm every single time I'm out, I'm asked about what my refugee policy is because people are ashamed of Australia's refugee policy. You know, that was his, his action. And so that's why it's about standing. I think independents can actually stand for their communities, the values of their communities, and hold the parties to account in terms of, you know, making sure that the community voice is actually at the heart of what we're doing. How does that work? Let's say everything goes great in May 21, and let's say it's like June 21, all right? And there you are, you, you know, you've done the side induction or whatever. I don't know what happens at Canberra. <laughs> Go to the website. No, not that one. The other one. Oh, it doesn't work very well. Government website. Flashy pass. I'm here, you know. And knock, knock, knock at the door. And it's, I don't know, it's Barnaby Joyce is there going, ah, yeah. <laughs> Somehow he's still there. He goes, listen, you know, like, 
you know, let's say his coalition gets back in, but you win a seat. And he says, ah, Allegra, I know you want to do this thing, but look, honestly, this, this pipeline's got to get built and we, and we really need your support on this. And it's going to be great because, you know, you know, Kimberley has a lot of gas and people want to buy our gas and Allegra, we need you. We need your vote. Like, how does the, what does the independence look like in action at that moment? Mm. Look, I think it's about looking at things in, in legislation really carefully um, and getting independent experts and the community. And that's one of the things I'm seeking for Wentworth is to engage the community in legislation as well as gauging experts in, in legislation and saying, is this a good idea or is this not? And then how should I vote or how should I influence government policy to make a change here? And, you know, your degree of influence will come down to, you know, what the parliament looks like. But you, as an independent, you can ask the parliament, you're part of question time and there's a crossbench question, which is where you hold the government to account and what's going on. You can put forward legislation, private member bills, and you look at what Zali Stegel's done in terms of putting together a climate bill that is based on the UK where climate is not a political football. It is endorsed by the Business Council of Australia and the Australian Council of Trade Unions and the Farmers Federation, you know, not necessarily all best friends, um, but they see that this would be good for the country. And so that's what independents can do. They can actually put forward legislation and in cases get that passed, which is truly in community interest and is not, it's not partisan because you're not the opposition. My job is not to basically say to everybody, oh, what a crap job they're doing and, you know, vote for me next time because I'm not trying to get into office. What I'm trying to do is just make government better. If you don't clap after that, I don't know what. Because even as a, even as a, you just para, you paraphrased every question time I've watched since I discovered it was live streamed on the telly. I was like, this is like just like you're you're worse when you had this job. That's why I'm here now, and people will be silly if they ever put you back in there again, Mr. Speaker. And repeat. Forever, without ever actually talking about it. Yeah, exactly. And also it's the behaviour and I want to talk about culture and one of the things actually that disgusted me the most was when Karen Phelps got in, as in the by-election, she came to do her maiden speech and Scott Morrison and the government, apart from a few, all got up and walked out and, you know, it must have been that respect for women thing. Yeah, loving it. But it's also, you know, and you see that in, you know, I look at some of Question Time where people are turning their backs to each other and I go, when my kids do that to each other, it's a problem. I know what bad, you know, bad behaviour looks like and I'm trying to, you know, I try really hard with my kids to say that's not respectful, that's not how we treat each other around here. But then when you see that in Parliament and then you say, no, vote for me and, yes, we're going to do a great, we've got great culture here, you go, you know, what planet are you living on because this is not what respect looks like in the community. So why does it look like that in Parliament? Yeah, respect for each other. Absolutely, respect for each other. <laughs> respect for women. Respect for the, you know, the air we need to breathe, uh, to live, which is important. We'll get back to Bondi Beach and Bondi Hardware in, in just a minute to keep our conversation with Allegra, Allegra Spender going. If uh, you don't mind, though, here come some ads, or not, depending on the roll of the dice of where you're listening and how you're listening. We'll be right back with Allegra. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We're being asked to, and we get asked this every time, we get asked to believe that it's it's the Liberal Party who are the better economic managers. You worked, we mentioned before, you worked at the UK Treasury, you worked at an international policy level. What's your call there? The Liberal Party at times in its history has managed the economy well. When I look at, you know, even just the last budget, do I say that they deserve that title for that? Absolutely not. And I look at, you know, there are a couple of key factors for that. Firstly, climate change is undeniably going to be one of the major drivers of the economy in the next, you know, 20, 30 years, you know, for the good, for the bad, it's going to have a huge impact. In their wisdom, they decided to cut key institutions that address climate change in this country. It's like, well, don't tell me, you know, you're doing everything right and then, you know, you're dealing with climate change. Oh, you've got net zero by 2050, but then you cut the institutions because I'm, people notice that and we don't take that seriously. Nor do we take seriously that $22,000 every minute we've been sitting here has been going to the fossil fuel industry and subsidies, uh, of many of which are companies that are international companies that don't actually pay tax. Now, I don't think that's not a great idea. No, that's a terrible idea. Because I have to pay tax. You have to pay tax. I had a meeting with my accountant two days ago that told me how much tax I have to pay and how much trouble I'd be in if I didn't. But, you know, if you're ExxonMobil, apparently you can just take the stuff and go. That's not great. No, it's not great. And I think even, you know, even the infrastructure projects, there was a lot of infrastructure projects in in the budget, you know, over 15 billion. Huge amount of money, but not in the areas that we need it most. Not those areas which are identified as saying these are the big priority jobs in Australia that will make the biggest difference to our productivity. And so for me, I said they're going, this is about marginal seats. This is about winning an election. This is not about the long-term economic future of this country. And that's a lot of money to waste. Because that's interesting that we're being asked to believe that there's a great economic management if you vote for these people. But then what you're telling me is that it's more about I'm just trying to get through the next three years versus... I'm trying to get through the next three months. They just want to be elected. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. You mentioned earlier, you mentioned cost of living, you mentioned wage stagnation. As I mentioned at the start, we live in Wentworth, which is the, the some of the most valuable real estate in, in the country is here. The other day I was talking to a, a young guy who's 18 years old, uh, 19 years old, I've known him since he was 14, and he was talking about, yeah, I'm really thinking about saving up for a house, thinking about, you know, a deposit for a house, but, you know, even Newcastle's too too expensive. And, uh, you know, we've all got kids, and I don't want my kids to move away so they can buy a house. I'd like my kids to be able to afford to live nearby. You know, I mean, they'll obviously still come around and raid the fridge and do the laundry, but I'd still like them, you know, I'd like our children of our community to stay close to our community and their support networks. I don't want to see these guys have to go, well, we're going to get married and, and, and start a family and we're going to go live in Gladstone because we can't afford to live 
anywhere else. Like it's a humongous problem, but how can we possibly address the housing crisis in our country? And I think you're absolutely right and we were talking about this just before and I think the truth is that the the big thing we actually need to do in this country is build more houses. You know, we have 400 um, dwellings per 1,000 people, which is one of the smallest, um, one of the lowest numbers in the OECD. That's something we have not been facing. You know, we, we've, you know, talking about long-term challenges, you know, housing and housing affordability has been one of the key long-term challenges that this country has face and we've been facing this you know for over 10 years and we're not dealing with it so you know the the feds need to take leadership role in this and really work with the states and local government to make sure that we are building more dwellings but then it's also looking at how can we um, work with social housing and how do we also work with those people who don't who can't save a deposit who don't have that opportunity to do that or you know it will literally take them 15 20 years because if you want to, if you're like starting a family and you, and you need the support of your your parents or you know other folks, but you're in, you'll be incinerating your money on rent just to be near them so you can keep working. Like it just is, it's it's a very complicated situation. It is. It's huge, and it's a real. It's very much an intergenerational problem. We, you know, the the generation now is just not buying houses or having homes in the way that the other generations have, and that's a that is part of the Australian ethos. And we, you know, we we're failing. I think our young people because of that. It doesn't cost only a couple of years of wages to buy a house uh, now. <laughs> it's like literally doubled the number of years you have to say, you know, um, the n- median earnings to buy a house compared to what it was, you know, in sort of the late 90s or so. You know, we talk about it a lot, but it's, it's, it's people maybe don't, kind of consider that and they don't kind of consider the kind of mortgage payments or, you know, interest rates that people are playing back. You mentioned earlier integrity in politics. Um, I forgot I forgot about them walking out on Karen Phillips. Uh, sorry, man. It's, it's a massive issue, uh, particularly with, with women in the workplace and the, probably the highest workplace of our, of our nation. How do we get to integrity and accountability in our country? How do we, how do we get there? What does it look like? Honestly, I say this sincerely is um, vote independent. And, and the reason why I say that or vote for good independence in, in your local area. And I say that because independents, both at the federal level and at the state levels, have really fought for integrity measures. You know, for things like the New South Wales ICAC was driven by independence. It's in it's um, you know, Helen Haynes, Cathy McGowan and others in the federal level. They're the ones who've been really holding the government to account. And even things like the Parliamentary Budget Office, which is, you know, boring but important institution for integrity. That's what was driven by um, independence. But what integrity, I think, looks like, it, it looks like, firstly, it's, it's a web of integrity. It's not just one thing is no silver bullet. So it's about, firstly, having a strong federal ICAC with teeth. It is also about having... Um, I think, donation and election spending reform because Clive Palmer spent $81 million on the last election. I think that's really dangerous for this country. I think that's probably the most frightening statistic that, you know, one person, one company can spend $81 million on trying to buy an election and that's okay. Like, surely there's a problem with that. And then it's also looking at how do we allocate our resources, you know, our grant money, our um, you know, infrastructure projects to what's most important rather than what buys marginal seat. Like, those are some of the pieces of integrity. Then it's like good media. You know, there are all these sorts of things that it's part of that web. Uh, so you're including, like, uh, not only political uh, donations but political advertising yeah. uh, in that? Absolutely. Which is – that's 
It's a dirty I know, game. Thirty million dollars on what the positive power, um, you know, these and surprise, surprise, political advertising always goes up just before an election. Who knew? You know? oh, are you talking about the how great a job we've done of cutting emissions? Yeah, that one. Oh yeah. Do you know about this one? The third. Okay, so our government, your tax dollars, our Australian government, spent thirty-one million dollars on an ad going. We're doing a really good job cutting carbon emissions by twenty percent. What they actually, we've actually increased carbon emissions by four percent, but they got to the minus 20% by doing some super crafty land use and, uh, and forestry uh, accounting. The kind of accounting that I asked my accountant to do the other day. She said, no, I can't do that. You're going to get audited. But, uh, you know, and that's, you know, that's, that's what we're talking about. It's like, nah, man, that's, that's blows my mind. But, speak, you know, uh, you're no stranger to renewable energy. We spoke about that before. When you were at the uh, Sydney Renewable Energy uh, situation that put the you know, huge solar panel on the, on the well, solar panel, it's 520 kilowatts of, of solar power on the ICC. That was an impact investment company. And surely you were seeing pictures and you were seeing projections. W- what was the big picture that you got opened your eyes to around uh, the future and the price of kilowatt hours and what that could do to our country. Well, the interesting thing about um, that solar project was how much um, how much cheaper solar got even just during the period of time that we were running that project. I think we started in 2013 um, and the project completed around, I think, probably the end of 2018, 2019. And just the how much the price came down on solar and on wind. So, you know, we're in this amazing situation now where solar and wind, you know, even firmed, are the cheapest form of electricity in this country and so all the scare campaigns of oh you know how much is it going to cost us to go into solar and wind you know our power bills are going up our power bills are going up right now because coal's gotten really expensive and we still use a lot of coal in our electricity there's so much to talk about Uh, there's a lot about that but what is ahead of us when you think about what could we what could we do with energy that is on this sliding scale of like constantly having to readjust the spreadsheet. No, it's a lot cheaper now. Like what could we do with energy that is so cheap and so abundant? Oh, it's amazing. So Australia, a solar panel here creates two to three times more electricity than it does in Europe. So this is a chance for Australia to go, well, how do we use that competitive advantage? Um, You know, same capital, just much more electricity. How do we use that competitive advantage in manufacturing, in energy intensive industries, particularly in regional areas? This is the opportunity opportunity Australia faces like we are so lucky where we're set up in terms of um, this re- you know in terms of uh, decarbonized world but we do need the federal government to get out of the way and to let you know businesses and communities go ahead and take advantage of this does the government have to get out of the way or does the government would it help if the government made it safe for uh, capital to invest in these spaces uh, the first job would be let's stop being a climate record that would be that would be helpful what we'd love to get to is that where government provides the right environment for businesses and communities to make the investments that they want to do business needs certainty it needs it, and it has policy uncertainty at the moment because it doesn't really know what people stand for and there are no guidelines of how we're going to get there. So that's why – that's an absolutely integral role of the federal government that we're currently missing. Lou Wolfie is uh, two – nearly three. He's two and a lot, so he's nearly three, but he's going to be heading into high school in 2030. We, we Like the kind of economy that we have now won't exist if we don't change, right? And I, and I look at the opportunities ahead. Like currently our, our iron ore exports are $70 billion a year. That's a lot of money, right? The projected global green steel market is $700 billion. That's 10 times. Like, I can see that that's a good idea to start moving in that direction because someone's going to do it. Yeah. Someone's going to do it. And we don't want to be selling our iron ore to the people that are making it. We could do it right here. But it takes vision, right? 
It does. And look, I mean, you uh, you can see how much has changed and why the coalition is out of date when you look at someone like the Business Council of Australia, not necessarily an organisation that moves ahead of the times in terms of climate, but even they are saying, look, if we move quickly, if we do go to 46 to 50% by 2030, it is going to be really good for our economy and Australia can be a leader here. That's where business is. Well, and that's the thing. It's not, We've been sold this idea that if we... If we if we stop burning fossil fuels, then we're asking for, for poverty. Not, I'd, I'd say the converse is true. If yes. we keep going, we're asking, like, the decision is going to get made for us. It's just up to us when we when we choose to choose to switch. Are you prepared for what you're going to go up against? The the idealistic independent who goes to Canberra and yeah. then gets shot down in flames. It's a story that's been told qu- quite a bit. Yeah. Are you prepared for for what's ahead? Yeah, I am. I mean, I, it's people have asked me this from the start. And, and I, I say, look... I try to be a kind person. I do want to be a kind person. But I think you can also be a strong person. And I think that's, you know, what I've had to be in, you know, in what I've had to do. You know, I spent the last four years running this organisation, Australian Business Community Network. And, you know, that was halfway through that hit the pandemic. Everything we did was face-to-face pretty much. And, you know, my team looked at me and going, are we going to have jobs? And I was talking to schools who said half of our kids do not have their data and devices to be able to learn, you know, if they're at home. So these are some, you know, so you, I'm used to dealing with stuff that's really tough and you just have to keep on going and say, okay, what can we do that is going to make the biggest difference? And so I think that's the point is you can be strong but also kind and that's my, that's my goal. I'm trying to work that line. And I hope you do because that's, that's human. Mm. That's, that's what we are. That's a human thing to do, isn't it? You know? Uh, Susan David, one of my Susan David, one of my uh, it's a fantastic book, Emotional Agility. If you haven't read it, Susan David's brilliant book. But she has this line: "Courage is fear walking." Mm. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> it's scary as shit. You're showing up in this massive boys' club, people who are probably going to turn their backs and walk out on you when you have your first speech, right? They're like, "All right, I'm going to go anyway because nothing's going to get done if I if I don't do it." You need to convince about. I think I checked. About, you need to convince about 45,000 people who are all probably right now within three kilometres of where we're sitting. Why am I standing here? I should be out there. Well, exactly. Well, you're here. Don't worry. This scales. We put it out tomorrow and lots of people listen. Um, you've got to convince them that it should be you. How do you think you're going? Look, I think we've got to, we're doing really well. And I have to, I'm going to put it down to these amazing volunteers. And there are a lot of them in the room. We've got nine, over 900 volunteers around the community who are out there, you know, talking. Because, I, you know, I can be in so many places and so many times. But it's actually the people, it's the volunteers. And it's the other people who say, you know what, this is important to me. And so I'm going to have the uncomfortable conversation with my friends about why it should be important to them too. Because I think this is a true community movement. And if, if that's how we're going to be successful and so you know when I when I talk to those volunteers and those people who say look I was you know I used to vote for the Liberal Party I can't I want to have representation of the values of this community that's where I think we're going to go yeah exactly without a doubt because like I don't know if people kind of realise you actually can and, and I have mates I've been playing poker with the same bunch of guys since 2004 the game started in an old shop up there on, on um, uh, Francis Street um, and I go oh, mate you always got one more like, like, you're always about this and you're bloody vegan and that and I say yeah but you know what about what about you know money I like money I, I don't want to retire in a caravan park I like cash cash is good but you can have that and be kind at the same time you actually can it is possible and it is important to realise that. It's not one or the other. You, you, can, you can do both. You are up against it, though. I was checking some of the figures this morning. Like, like in the polling place in Vaucluse, it's like 92% uh, Liberal Party. <laughs> 
that's hardcore. How do you how do you even begin to fathom the hey, hi I'm Allegra? <laughs> Look, I think that's right, but there, there are parts that are tougher in the electorate than others, but, you know, then you, you'll have, I think, Bondi and, and Paddington and a lot of other places where it's quite different. And I, and I look at this electorate and I go, it is one of the most socially progressive electorates around. You know, 80% of people here voted for marriage equality. Um, it's a very environmentally focused electorate. And so you, you look at those values and you go, well, it's, it's about tapping into the values and saying, do you feel represented? You know, and you look at what the government's just done, you know, endorsing and continuing to endorse Catherine Deves in Warringah, a woman who has gone out of her way to be hostile to the LGBTQI community in, and, you know, and to really advocate in an extremely hostile way. And you say, how can that be aligned to this community? Because this community is not mean like that. It's just, it's beyond mean, but it's, you know, so how can that be good for the culture of this country? And I think those, I think, are really important. People are saying, you know, I think I can be kind and business focused. I can be interested in the environment and still want a strong economy and I can do both. And that's what people are seeking for. Say it doesn't have to pit us one against the other. I am so grateful you said that (laughs) because it's so rarely said publicly, right? It's so rarely said. The you know, I, for ages I thought I was a screaming lefty because I was seeing what was on the headlines of the TV and the six o'clock show on that channel, or you know, I was looking at the newspapers. And then I did the vote cuppers thing. I'm like, oh, I'm actually like I lean a little to the left, but I'm pretty much right and bang in the middle, you know. But I was just comparing myself to what I heard on Talkback Radio, thinking, well, I'm not that, so I must be the people they're talking about. I'm not. I think I just turned out to be human, you know. And that's all you are, really. That's, that's all you're describing, you know. Um, now, we've got we to talk about this part. This is a tr- tricky part to talk about, but here we go. We're almost there. Don't worry, I'll open the bar again in a second. Um, <laughs> no, so I, that's my motorbike parked out the front. And sometimes when I'm riding to work on the M4, I was taught by the people that taught me how to ride. Before you change lanes, you always look for an exit. Okay, that's where I want to go. But if it goes bad, how do I go out? Where do I get out there? And that's good to have up your sleeve when a, a white ute with a P plate just decides to go over there. But then you know, go... <gasps> You take a breath, you recalibrate, you try and get your hands to stop shaking, you go, okay, now, where's my exit? And you, you find your way. So let's just say it all goes to pod. Let's say the night of May 21, we're like, oh, we went to that thing in Bondi and everything, and Dave still won. Like, what can we do through our days, regardless of what happened on May 21? What can those who share your vision, who have been clapping along and, and going, yes, she's speaking the things I think, what can people like that do if the coalition is returned and has the majority, what can we do every day? <laughs> um, look, I think we got to talk about it. It's important to talk about it. I think um, so. I'd say one thing is that the you know I've, I was speaking to someone yesterday, one of our volunteers, who said it's been amazing to connect with people who think like me and who you know who share some concerns and meet people of different ages and stages and perspectives, but who share sort of common values and want to do something about that. And so, I first thing I think to say is that you know this is a journey and and bring you've got you're already building a momentum use that momentum to keep on going don't lose those connections because you know when people stand up and they continue to stand up things change and so you just have to continue to stand up and keep on moving i couldn't be more grateful that you decided to stand up allegra spender ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for being here thanks for organizing it thanks for putting on a bar tab 
The show will be out. I'll probably get it'll it'll drop at midnight. So stay up late. No, the show will be out tomorrow. Show's called Better Than Yesterday. Um, thank you very much to Daryl, who's uh, Daryl, who's editing this. So I'm just as a note for Daryl. Everyone say hi, Daryl. Hi, Daryl. Yeah, Daryl's working on a Sunday so he can cut this show and have it out by tomorrow. Um, uh, Rachel Barrett's the executive producer that helped us all make this happen. Bree Steele worked on the research. And uh, Mike Mills, you didn't hear, but there's great music for this show. And Toe Hyder made it all. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Wednesday. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.